Psalms 107.23, we've been dealing with ships. They that go down into the sea in ships that do business in great waters. The, we've been talking about this, but this is the summary of this verse. That the deeper the waters, the bigger the boat required. God has taken us somewhere. God has moved us somewhere. I don't mean to tell you that the church as a whole in the religious realm, I'm just telling you the people of God, God has taken us somewhere. He's taken us to deeper waters. So when we begin this, we begin, there's, we, we have one more ship to go when I get back because I'm going on a big ship. But the first one was workmanship, Ephesians 2 and 10. Workmanship, it means poema. This is just you and God. Shallow water, water's easy, no sharks. It's just you and Jesus. You got your own thing going. Wonderful. But you can't, li you can't stay there. You're commanded. You cannot stay there by yourself. Even he said in the very beginning, it's not good for you to be alone. Right, so next thing we go to the fellowship, the old kayaking. And now then we've joined up. We found a teammate. We found someone that we can get along with and work together with. And so now then we can, we can go in deeper waters and we can get there twice as fast. Acts 2 and 42. Last week we talked about discipleship. Now then we're rowing. Now then we can go in deeper waters and we can get there quicker. Now, now we have a nine man. We talked about discipleship. Discipleship speaks of talents, togetherness, and teamwork. John 8 and 31. For our fourth vessel. And the fourth vessel that we'll discuss this morning has the capabilities to cross large bodies of water. This is a Viking ship. They adopted it from the Roman Empire. But the ship we're going to talk about this morning is companionship. Companionship. Companionship is found in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 32 and 33. The church is suffering great persecution. If you've heard me say this, but if you don't know this, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Josephus and Victoria said that that first apostolic church had about 30 to 35,000 members said they were members. In between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is a small book called Titus, but there's a space of three years and five months between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, we had a tremendous outpouring of a church. And in 2 Timothy, it's all gone. I've lost a few folks in 30-something years, but I haven't lost 33,000 in three years. Was Paul teaching another gospel? No. Was Timothy preaching a false doctrine? No. So why would we go from 30-something thousand to almost nothing and it was called persecution of Nero? And remember, I told you that faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And a doctrine that cannot be tested is a doctrine that cannot be trusted. That's why I stick with the scriptures. Because I don't have to apologize for anything. The old saying, the old saying it says this, the word of God is a line. 
You don't have to defend the lion. Just let the lion loose. He'll take care of himself. I just present you the word of God. That's all I do. And the word of God will take care of itself. Companionship. So Hebrews chapter number says this. Because of remembrance the former days which you were illuminated or you come to know the light. You endured a great fight of afflictions. Now he's speaking to these people under great attack. Partly or sometimes while you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions and sometimes or partly while you become companions of those that were so used. So the Apostle Paul is given these people, he refers to them as companions. And he said, you remember when you first got saved and, and you saw the light and God was good and you were happy even though you were persecuted. And sometimes that you were made a gazing stock while you were being persecuted, laughed at and tortured and treated wrong. And sometimes that you were companions or beside someone that was going through the similar thing that you were going through. Now, Listen to me. Companionship. It's a bigger boat. But I will tell you that deeper the waters is the bigger the waves. And Gail and I have been on about two cruise ships that I'm telling you, 35 feet waves. And it was brutal. And we were calling out the porcelain gods. Oh, Oklahoma. All the... Mmm... The further you go out, the bigger the waves. When you're in a bass pond, there's no waves on the inner tube. When you're in the kiddies pool with the kayak people, there's no waves. But you get out there 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 miles, and the waves can get brutal when the winds get up. So here's what's going on. You see the word gazing stock? While you're going through, has anybody beside me ever been through anything? Adversity, adversity, you're going to hell. You're lying. Adversity, trials, reproaches, persecution, affliction, frustration, taxation, you name it. Gazing stock. The New King James uses the word spectacle rather than gazing stock, but it's the same Greek word. It's called theatron. Paul said, while you are going through afflictions and problems, you and your companions, none of us here are exempt from tribulations and problems and afflictions. None of us. We're all in the same boat. Agreed? Yes. Agreed? Yes. Even the best faith healers and teachers couldn't pull a big enough rabbit out of the hat to satisfy what you were asking God to do. Sometimes God will not change things. He'll just give you the ability to endure things. That's the way it is. Gazing stock is called theatrons. Theatrons is where we get a word for a theater. By definition, to be in front of an audience as they watch the lifestyle of you going through tribulations, afflictions, and persecution. Gazing stock, spectacle. The Apostle Paul is screaming like I'm screaming to you. There's an audience watching you as you go through things. Whether it be in the earth, under the earth, or above the earth, there's an audience. You are a spectacle or a gazing stock 
of a lifestyle of sufferings, persecutions, reproaches, and disappointments. But the funny word about this, theotron, was a word in the Greeks. It was a place where wages could be waged. It was Caesar's palace, if you would, in Las Vegas. Not only was an audience watching you, but they were wagering either for or against your survival. So a theater is more than just where they watch movies. Back then, a theater was more than just performers on a stage or gladiators in an arena. A theatron where people could come and cast wages or they could bet while they watch you if you were going to survive it or not. The Apostle Paul is not, is not declaring a gospel of, of fluff and fur. He said, I know that you're hurting. I know that they're killing our companions. I know that they're kicking down doors and, and, and taking women captive. And, and I know they are. And I know you're going through things that, that you don't understand. I know that. And while you're going through these things that hell itself and Satan himself and the whole world is watching you go through these things. And he, this is what they're saying. They're waging whether you'll make it or you won't make it. There's a lot of people in this world is hoping you will not make it. There are more people today that is betting that I will not make it as your preacher than betting that I will make it. There are more people today that are saying, I'll give you two to one odds that you'll divorce him in 30 days. They're betting because when things do not go exactly the way you want, people, there, there are spirits and principalities that is betting that you will collapse and fold like a bad lawn chair. This is why you show up here every Sunday morning. There's, you have an audience. You have spectators that are watching you. And they're waging and making a bet that you will not make it. You will not survive it. Now, I can tell you something wonderful. The fact that God says you've already won, but that don't make you feel better sometimes. So let, let, me, give you, let, let me give you a good scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. And Jesus said unto, unto his disciples, if any man will come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see the word deny, it's a Greek word that means to be submitted or to surrender mentally, physically, and emotionally to Christ. I surrender. When I become in discipleship, I surrendered. I gave him all. My plans, my ideas, my thoughts, I just surrendered mentally, physically, and spiritually to him. And, and so then it, once I did that, he said, then if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, which he did, and take up his cross. This word, take up his cross, and I want to explain this to you before I go on, because some of you have gotten a, a false teaching on this. Aeo is a word that basically is in the Greek language, and it has two dual meanings. It's funny. Like deer. Like deer. Is it a deer in a row or the deer that sits here on the second, third row? So aio is a Greek word that means two meanings. One, it means to is to to remove or to build up. 
And it's a funny thing. It's, it's a funny word. It's just however classical Greek word wants to use it. So when he says, take up the cross and follow me, that means to bear up. So what happens is I want you to know that on one thought process is that when we want to follow Jesus and become his disciples, then we're going to have to pick up our cross and follow him. What is exactly does that mean to take up our cross, to bear it up? It's very common for criminals and always that receive the death sentence that they would carry their own cross to the place of their execution. Our Lord did it. So when the time of execution would come, there wasn't three crosses already suspended in earth and they brought the guys in a taxi and they drove them up there and gave them a ladder and said, climb up there, we're gonna nail you to that. That's not the way that worked. It was more than just death, it was humiliation. Jesus walked through the streets carrying his own cross. He bore his own cross. So did everyone else that was crucified according to Rome. It was more than just the act of immediate execution. It was his humiliation. It was the flogging. It was the despising and the shame, carrying your own cross through the city streets. And our Lord did this. All criminals did this before they were executed. So for someone to say that this is our lifestyle, and I'll tell you right now, for people that carry crosses around town and Arthur Blessed did it, you know, I'm not going to rag on, but that's not what he's talking about, carrying a cross around town. I'm going to get to that now. But to bear up a cross, it means this. When you carry your cross, it means this. I'm not completely dead to the flesh yet, but I'm on my way. My flesh is not dead yet, but as I carry my cross, I'm headed to my execution when I leave this life. And as you carry your cross through this life, as you surrender to God, surrender to Christ, mainly physically, emotion, then what happens is, is that when you carry your cross of humiliation, of self-denial, of self-sacrificing, and it's no longer my will, but it's your will, Father, I carry this cross because it's my job to carry it, then what happens is this. It's, you're really a dead man walking. You're a dead man walking. The second word to this, and, and, and that's honorable. You're crucifying the flesh. Somebody said, well, when will we get rid of the flesh? Well, you'll get rid of it when we bury you. But the second one is, in this Greek word, it means to, to remove. And he says, if any man will, will follow me, my disciple, let him take up his cross. And that ahil is the same word. It's just however you want to use it. But that word is to remove. So why should we remove the cross when you just showed me, told me we should bear it? We're going to bear it as we go through life in suffering and shame and afflictions and humiliation. Because Jesus said that if you, your master, which he is the master, suffers this, then why do you think you're greater than your master not to suffer anything? And any time that TBN or any of them knuckleheads on television will tell you you don't have to go through anything, best thing you can do is turn them off. Turn on Cartoon Network. You're going to get better results from that. We are going to go through things. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. But the good news is I've overcome those things. 
So this morning, we bear up a cross. We bear it up. We're, we, we carry on cross. We're headed to the crucifixion. So what does it mean to, to remove the cross? And here's the deal. The cross was a place of elevation. The cross was a billboard. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you're going to have to come down. Because he said in John chapter 3, verse 14, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he said, as it was in the wilderness and Moses lifted up the scepter, if the Son of Man will be lifted up, then I will draw men unto me. You don't need to be lifted up. The Son of Man needs to be lifted up. There's only one in the Christian that we know that needs to be seen above all things, and that's Christ. Amen. We need you to take up your cross or remove your cross. We need you to come down because all a cross was was a place of elevation, a billboard. Now, Rome used it for the negative. Rome used the cross because if all he was interested in killing Christians, that he'd have, he'd have put the cross on the ground or whatever, and, and, but he didn't. He elevated it because he wanted everybody to see, if you, if you believe in, 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 in Jehovah God and Jesus, this is what's going to happen to you. It is a billboard that's lifted up. And how many knows most billboards are off the ground? So it's really, it's a twofold dichotomy. Number one, this is who I am. I bear the cross of affliction. I take on the cross of persecution. I'll bear, I'll be like Jesus. I'll carry my cross through the streets and I'll suffer humiliation for his name's sake. I'll bear the reproach that the Bible says that sin is sin. Whether you had a committee and voted on it, it doesn't matter what you vote on. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And the Bible said it's good, it's good. And I'll bury the shame and they'll call me a fuddy-duddy. They'll say, you're square, so I am. Okay. I'll bear the, the, the reproaches. The apostle Paul said, I carry the scars and the marks of Christ on my back. But the second thing that happens is I take up my cross. It means that I'm coming down from my place of elevation. Because there's only one that needs to be seen in this church. And that's King Jesus. And of all that I do and all that you do and all that you're going to do, I appreciate your help. But none of us should be elevated. We're all on common ground. There's only one that needs to be lifted up. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you're going to have to submit to him and surrender him and deny yourself and take up your cross, bear the burdens and come down off your billboard and you will follow him. You are truly a disciple of Christ. Once again, that's why my name is not on the building. Unless somebody just wrote knucklehead on the side of it. I don't know. Because I only want one to be seen. And that's Christ. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We've got to go back to the ship. So let a man so account of us as men of God, as the ministers of Christ. Now, there, there is a rest of this on stewards, and we're going to get to stewardship when I get back. Ministers. Oh, I, I'm a minister. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen them. So in, in elementary and primary education of the church, the word minister is where we get a word for diaconus, where we get a word for a servant. Oh yeah, I'm a servant. But that's not what this word is. This is a Greek word called huperetus. 
And when he says, let men account, this word account, where we get it, it's an accountant term, of course. Logizomi means write it down, ledger it. That while we're going through things, that we are ministers of God. God's never promised you exemption of anything. He's just promised you constant companionship. And if things don't change in the next couple of years, especially in three months, you better buckle up, buttercup, as far as the church is concerned. Because even the news media will tell you that the church may be in trouble. They know. This word hooperitis is composed of two words. Hooper is under and resso is rowers. Rowers. The Apostle Paul says, let the whole world account for us, write it down, that we are hooperitis of God. We are under rowers of God. The Greek word under rower means when men were convicted of a crime by Rome, sentenced to death, whatever it may be, Rome did not execute these men that were in good shape immediately. Nero was smarter than that. The Roman Empire was smarter than that, even though they had to cross large bodies of water. There was no Evinrude Motors yet. There was no Johnson Motors yet. It was all manpower. So Rome had to get, in the Roman Empire, they had to travel in many large bodies of water. So they had to get there by sea. So when men were convicted of a crime unto death, they were not executed immediately. They stuck them in a boat in the bottom compartment of a ship, chained together with oars sticking out the side. And they were under rowers. They were in the under part of the ship rowing. By definition, these men spent the rest of their life rowing and in a compartment of a boat that they had no face, no vote, no rights, no fancy food, no shuffleboard on the top, no mingling with the rich and famous. They spent the rest of their life in a place of rowing in harsh and adverse atmosphere and condition. The Apostle Paul said, now some of you have no idea what I just said, but that's why you're here. These people that jump up and say that I'm a minister of God, all right. But the Apostle Paul said, when it really comes down to it, are you really a minister? Because a minister's life is a hooperitis, it's an under rower of the divine engine of God. And you will probably not be seen. You may not ever be heard. May, may, may nobody ever in this world recognize your face on television, but you have dedicated your whole life. You received the sentence of death unto God. And I will serve him for the rest of my life. And I will make sure that this great divine engine of rowing together with different companions, that we will further the kingdom of God together. 
even in afflictions and in hardships. The ministry is not really what you think it is. I don't know what you think it is. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you just think I just play golf and eat chicken. I don't know what you think I do. But I have days like you. I wake up with days just like you. Problems in my family, not Gala, of course. Children, grandchildren, finances, taxation, coulda, shoulda, wouldas, wake up with every bit of it. But this is the thing, as a minister of God, that we've been called to, to make progress forward and to make sure this gospel goes forward. And being chained together, why would they chain one another together? If you're in the bottom compartment of a ship and you don't get all the frills and the thrills and the gourmet food, why in the world would they chain you together? And here's the deal. Keep someone from jumping ship. The reason why we're chained together, me and old Miller, we're chained together, scallywag over there. Because even though he's a scallywag, but I need him. And I'm sure there's days that he gets up and look in the mirror and he would say, it's not worth it. Made too many bad decisions, too many wrong choices. I think I'll just quit. So he gets me on the phone and he said, hey, Reverend, I think I'll quit. Before he hangs up, I'm in this driveway. And I said, I'll make you think you'll quit. You ain't quitting nothing. You ain't leaving me all by myself. He said, yeah, but I've had a bad day. All right, me too. Well, you don't know who my brother is. You don't know who my brother is. You don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter. We are connected together. We are chained together. Every one of us, we're companions and we share the same afflictions. We share, we share the same problems because we're all in the same boat together. We're under rowers. Nobody even notices that we're alive or dead, but it doesn't matter. God knows. And if you don't do what God has called you to do, then the thing stops. And I won't let you stop. If you quit coming, I'll be nice to you. But boy, after a while, the gloves are off. I said, listen, knucklehead, you better get back to church. We ain't got time you be pouting here. You're nothing special. All we are, we're companions together. We're chained together that we might make sure that this thing, the gospel and the kingdom continues to go forward. Colossians chapter four, verse 11, and we're going to close. Listen to Paul says, Aristocrus, my fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, which is John Mark, who's, whom you received instructions. And if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice. And these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God who or of the circumcisions, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Here's three men you have no idea who they are. Here's three men that Paul specifically points out, and you probably don't have a clue who either one of them are. And just because you don't know who they are, but Paul knew who they were. The word comfort is, is a Greek word called 
paragoria, where we get a word for paragoric. And paragoric, it was an old timer's medicine that soothed and settled the body. Everything from an upset stomach to an infant who's trying to teeth. Paragoric. The Apostle Paul said, I'm in prison and I'm overheated. I've been falsely accused. My body smells like I haven't taken a bath in about two and a half years because it hasn't. I'm chaffed. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm being ridiculed, mocked, and spit at. I don't deserve any of this. But these three men have been a comfort to me. They have calmed me down. They have soothed my aching heart. They have settled my spirit. They have been a comfort to me. They've been medicine to me. When you quit having a pity party for yourself, and you quit playing the blame game, and that can go on for a while, God is saying, here's the scripture. I've put men in your life that in, in the world's eye, nobody knows them. But they've been medicine to you. They've settled your stomach. They've eased your mind. They've calmed your nerves. They picked up a phone, they wrote a card. I just want you to know, I'm thinking about you today. I just want you to know that you're loved today. See, the Apostle Paul is not complaining that God doesn't remove these things because God said, I'm not going to remove these things from you. I prayed three times. He said, I'm not going to remove anything from you. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll give you someone in your life that'll settle you and soothe your heart. You're a medicine to one another. And, and as I'm, I wrote here, in the kingdom of heaven, as we make forward progress in the bottom of a boat rowing, you can either be an irritant or a bomb. You can either hurt people or you can heal people, or, or you can either be part of the problem or you can be part of the solution. I choose to be the latter. And I never want to, in case I don't make it back, thank you for being a comfort to me and my wife. Thank you. I told somebody before church, isn't it amazing that most arguments start, the people that you love, is when things are not going right. And the first thing you do want to do is blame someone that you love the most. And, and you're probably the reason for it to happen. And what we don't want to do here in this church is that we don't want to run on fumes and start blaming the people. Well, they didn't, they didn't respond. They didn't do this. They should have done that. Listen, you, you, you're, you're in it with just, you're in it by yourself, really. If you get people attached to you and love to you, that's just a benefit and a blessing. But thank you for being kind to me and thank you for being understanding and thank you for being patient when I preach longer than 20 minutes. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for telling me that I do a good job on the piano when I really just kind of bum the thing in, but thank you. Thank you for telling me my clothes match when they probably don't, but thank you. Thank you for telling me that you love me when sometimes that you, you just like to tear my head off, but thank you. You've been a comfort to me. I found healing in this church. So you can go off and you can do your own thing and you can have your own Bible study and you can go do whatever you want to. But I will tell you, biblically, there is healing. There's a balm of Gilead in the, the house of the Lord. And if you don't believe that, just lay out of church for a few weeks. We have trouble standing you now. Wait till we can't see you for a month. You'll be intolerable to live with. You've been a comfort to me. Thank you. And it never fails. I probably had a bad week and things go wrong and here comes Brandon Webb. All 175 pounds of me. He grabbed me like a human forklift. I can't even breathe. He said, I just want you know I love you. I said, Brandon, don't eat me. Let me down. I love you too. He's medicine to me. So whatever that you're going through right now, whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, there's people here that will comfort you. And they're designed by God. And even on a casual conversation, we got to go. And even in a casual conversation, somebody, you would say, well, I go to church with so-and-so. And so I don't, I don't know him. I don't know Don Dixon. I don't know him. Well, you may not know him, but I know him. And he's been a comfort to me. Jeremy Resendez comes to church. I don't tell that to many people, but he comes to this church and they say, well, I don't know him. And I said, well, you may not know him. Somebody said, well, I know him. I said, but I know him. I've never walked in that place without him hollering at me. Good morning, pastor. They've been a comfort. We are companions together. We're in the bottom of an unseen boat that the world doesn't even know we exist and they don't care as far as the Christian community. But God knows. And he sees us working together. And he's given us comfort from one another that we'll endure this thing until the end. And the last scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3, and 4. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. And when we do that, they will be able to give the same comfort to someone else. Like God has given us. The good news this morning is the reason why I'm patient and compassionate towards you is because God is patient towards me. Amen. So this morning, companionship. It's a big boat. It's a big vessel. We're all under rowers together. God has given us the one another, to comfort one another, to heal one another, 
and to bring a solution to one another. And I'm glad we're in it together. I'm glad you're here this morning. It wouldn't be the same without you. Father, in this, in this journey called life that we've only been promised biblically really two things. Constant sorrow and consistent companionship of the Holy Spirit. While we're here in this life that we've never been promised anything that would satisfy the flesh, satisfy our appetites, but we have been given a divine remedy, paragoric, that comes through the hearts and the mouths and the hands of your people that may be unknown to the world, but they're very close to my heart. And Father, I, I want to continue to, to tell the people of this church they have no idea the waves and the winds that Gail and I, that we face on a, on a regular basis. But it's through the comfort of the Holy Spirit through these people that they seem to calm us and soothe our hearts and ease our minds and relax our grip. as we work together in this ship called companionship. And wherever we are meant to go and designed to go, that we're gonna to go together, chained together, bearing one another's burdens. And lastly, Father, the same grace and the comfort that you give me on a daily basis, that's what I wanna to give to those that I come in contact with. So thank you for all that you're doing in our lives as ministers. Of Jesus Christ. So I could hand out a card this morning and I would ask you to fill it out with everything that you've been going through last year and this year, your hurts, your disappointments, and there's not enough courage and there's not enough ink in the pens. I understand. And you could look at those and rehearse those and keep those near to your nightstand and, and you could read those of, if I'd have done this different, if I'd have said that different, and I understand but I can't change anything in the past, but I will tell you the good news this morning that God has surrounded you with people that's here to comfort you and love you and help you and make your life better. They are medicine to heal you, to encourage you. And you won't find it anywhere else but where God's people are gathered together So Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. And all the people of God said amen and amen. Stand to give the Lord a praise offering if you would please, huh?
Give somebody a hug and say, listen, I love you even though you got a Kansas City Chief shirt on. I love you. Now, now listen to me. This is, this is serious. We're not dealing with a headache. We're dealing with, with cancer cells here. If you're, if you're married or are you with a mate, I don't want you to do this to your mate. But with a sincere heart, I want you to go to about two people that's close to you and I want you to tell them, I'm so glad you're in my life. I don't want any laughing and cutting up and joking. I want you to look them square in the eye. And I want you to tell them, you made a difference in my life. You may not know it, but you made a difference in my life. And I'm glad we're here. Communion service, if you'll make your way, please. That night, the Lord sat down with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup. This is the last instructions that he'll give before leaving this earth. So he saved the best words for last. These men that were all segregated, they may have rode together in the same bus over there, but I will tell you, they were all sitting in 11 different seats. All of them had different ideas and different dreams and who was gonna be the best and who was gonna be the greatest and who was gonna take over. They were all 11 in 11 different directions. And the Lord had to provide a solution to this. Every one of us, we can, we can come here with, with, with a hundred different ideas and designs, but I will tell you, communion is more than just taking the elements. Communion is bringing us to a place of communion, commonness, unity. So we lay all that aside this morning. He took the cup and, and the bread, and he said, this bread is for 2,000 years. You've, you've been celebrating the bread in the first Passover, but, but now then this bread will represent my body broken for you. And this cup, this cup will now represent my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said, as often as you take this bread and you drink in this cup, watch this, it will remind you of me. Father, this morning, if there's been an ever time in history that we've ever needed to be reminded of you, it's today. So as we celebrate Holy Communion, let something wonderful and magical happen to us as we receive the bread and the cup that we may come segregated and divided, but when we leave here because of Holy Communion, we leave as one companionship. Bless this cup and bless this bread. In Jesus' name.